Hey, glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. Well, greetings and salutations from the great state of Alabama once again. Hope that everybody had a great weekend and that we survived the rain and the floods that came and uh, getting ready for this cold weather is about to come through. Well, tonight we're going to finish up uh, Ecclesiastes. We're going to be going through uh, chapter 11 and 12. So if uh, you have any suggestions on where you would like to go after we get done with Ecclesiastes uh, tonight, just send me a text or message me on Facebook or put something in the comments on the Facebook and let me know where you might want to go. I'm thinking maybe a New Testament book. So if you got any suggestions there on a New Testament book you'd like to study, uh, just send me send me your thoughts on that. And again, uh, for now, Thursdays are are out because we're teaching. I am teaching a fire instructor one course, uh, so that'll keep me tied up till about February the eighth on Tuesdays and Thursdays. After that, we I had decided to go and do um, a systematic theology. Uh, so if you got any other suggestions for theology Thursday, let me know. But uh, otherwise, we're going to uh, delve into systematic theology. All right, uh, so don't forget, we're going to put this on uh, YouTube. It's automatically going to YouTube, so go find you find me on YouTube and like, subscribe, and share. And we'll also be putting it on the podcast, RK Ministries Podcast, and you can find that wherever podcasts are found. And go again, subscribe, like, share, leave comments, give good reviews. All those things help the algorithm. And let's see if we can continue to increase uh, increase the audience. And if you're on Facebook, share it with your Facebook friends. Uh, put a link to it or, or post it or, or whatever you need to do to get it to other people so that we can maybe increase uh, the audience for for this uh, Bible study that we do every Sunday night and the podcast uh, in particular. All right, so without further ado, let me get um, get to it on Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 11 and 12. So we know that Solomon has um, been on this journey, this experiment that he started early on, and he has been looking at life, uh, trying to find the meaning of life, and he has been looking at life under the sun, that's the phrase that is recurring in Ecclesiastes. And so as he journeyed through life and went on these experiments, experimenting with wisdom and folly and uh, all sorts of aspects of life, you name it, he's, he's tried it and uh, indulged himself in it. And the conclusion that he comes up with, if life is merely saw or merely experienced, under the sun, if this is all there is, you remember that life life under the sun means that all we have is this temporal existence. There's nothing after this. There's no God in the, in the equation. If that is all there is to life and everyone, whether you're rich or poor, or whether you're wise or foolish, and we all go to the same place, we all die, return to the dust, and it's over, 
then life is vanity. Your life, life is empty. Life is grasping at the wind. There is no meaning and value in life if that's all that we have. But all along the way, Solomon has been pushing us toward a particular conclusion, which we're going to unfold tonight as we go through chapter 12 in particular. But he's already given us glimpses of what his ultimate conclusion is, that the only way to find true value and meaning in life is to have God as part of the equation, to understand that we are here because we were designed to be here. We were created to be here by God and God God gives us purpose. God gives us value. And in him, we find our true value and our true meaning and our true worth. And it's in, and it's in our relationship with him and in our walk and our obedience with him that life has value and meaning um, in, in this world in which we live in. And that doesn't mean that it's free from calamity and free from trouble. No, we still will see calamity and trouble in this fallen world that we live in. But even in, even in, in the midst of calamity and trouble, Solomon's conclusion is that we are to follow after God. And if we follow after God, even in the midst of trouble and calamity in this brief life that we have, we will find value and meaning in life. And so we, we're going to bring this to a conclusion. And really, uh, this, this can be broken down, 11 and 12, chapters 11 and 12 can be broken down to uh, four different kinds of, of thought or four key headings. One is life is an adventure, so live by faith, verses of one through six in chapter 11. And then life is a gift, enjoy it, chapters, chapter 11, seven through 12, eight. Life is a school. Learn your lessons, chapter 12, 9 through 12. And then life is a stewardship. Fear God, chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. So that's kind of the outline that we're following through. So let, let's jump into verses 1 through 6. And Solomon begins by saying, For us to cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it at, you will find it after many days. And so if we read that passage, it really seems strange. And unless, unless I have read other people uh, and see what other people thought about this passage, I would have to ponder that for quite some time. But the majority of people that you read when it relates to this passage uh, is talking about send out your grain on ships. In other words, engage in the commerce of life. You know, plant your fields and reap the harvest, reap the grain, uh, and and send it out on the merchant ships. And eventually, you will find that you will have a reward. It will come back to you. So in that sense, you don't know what's going to happen on the ship. And in a minute, he's going to tell us that. We don't know what's going to happen, but we got to live by faith. We got to trust in God. And so we we need to send our send our grain out on those ships to try to reap the greatest reward we can reap for our. Uh, wages. He goes on in verse two says, give a portion to seven or even to eight. In other words, diversify. And the reason that he gives, the reason he says we ought to diversify is because we don't know what's going to happen, right? A storm could come up and wipe out the ship that you put your grain on. If you put all your eggs in one basket, 
So he gives a wise uh, counsel for us to diversify, to not put all of our eggs in one basket uh, in, in our in effort to make ends meet, in our effort to earn an income. Uh, we, we ought to diversify our earnings. We ought to diversify um, our means of income. So we don't have, we're not just banking on one, one thing because we don't know what what this world's going to bring. We don't know what life's going to be. We don't know what calamity is going to come uh, in in this world. Another thing is don't don't let the fear of not knowing keep you from engaging in life or engaging in commerce or engaging in the acquisition of of wealth. Because even though you don't know what disaster may happen on earth, he says at the end of that verse. Don't let that fear stop you from engaging in the things that you need to do to earn a living, to make an income, to take care of your, take care of your family. So send out your grain, uh, throw your bread on the water, and you'll receive it after many days. Then he goes on in uh, verse 3. In verse 3, he says, now remember, we're under this heading, life is an adventure lived by faith. Uh, so verse 3, he says, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. Again, a lot of poetic statements that you have to think about a little bit and, and ultimately read what other people thought about these and come to a conclusion on what Solomon is trying to get across to us. And he gives another comparison in this passage. It may be better to go ahead and read that and then come back and talk about what these two mean. So verse three again, if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, it, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. So what in the world is Solomon trying to get across to us? Well, the best, to the best of my understanding, I think Solomon's telling us two things. One, we, we can't control the things that happen in life, not all of them. There are some things that are that we can't control directly, but there are a lot of things that we can't control directly. And if you t if you continue in the motif of the 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 seed time and harvest and the grain and and the making your your income through an agrarian type uh, economy, then you can't control when it's going to rain or when it's not going to rain. But what you can do is know when the clouds come. And, and they full, they're full of rain, they're going to dump their water on the earth, but they quickly move away. And then you have to trust by faith that they're going to come back around again. You can't control them, but you can see there's some consistency in, uh, in, in, in the way that nature works. It, clouds come and they water the earth. So by faith, you plant seed and you trust that the clouds are going to come and the rain is going to fall. And then the second thing, you know, where, where clouds are more um, fickle, I guess you can say, um, that they come and go. Well, trees are a little bit more permanent, right? They're, they, 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 they sprout up and they grow. And if they grow long enough, they become real huge trees, some of them. And so that's more of a permanent aspect in, in life, but you still don't know what kind of calamity is going to come. If a storm comes and it blows that tree over, which, whichever way that tree falls, that tree's going to lay there. Now, I know today we, we have machine guns. We can go, or not machine guns. <laughs> we have uh, chainsaws. We can go, uh, you know, uh, saw those trees up. We can, we can harvest them and make lumber and all those kinds of things. But if you have a forest and a tree falls in general, it's going to lay there and it's going to just lay there until it rots. And what are you going to do about it, right? So you really can't do anything about 
what happens in the past. You can't do anything about the past. You can't do anything about the tree that fell. It's done. It's over with. It has fallen. So don't fret over what has happened in the past. We must look toward the future and we must continue to walk and work uh, and live in faith in this world. And so he goes on verse four, he who observes the wind will not sow and he who regards the clouds will not reap. And isn't that the truth? Now, how many times have people, and maybe you and me, probably are guilty of this to some degree, that we, we are fair weather people, right? When we look out in, in the, in the, if we look out into the world and, the, and we observe the elements that are out there, it will discourage us from getting out into those elements and doing things, right? And there, there are those who, if it has a, 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 you know, a little sprinkle in the sky, they'll come up with an excuse or a reason not to go out and, and, tend to the things they need to tend to or go to work. There are always people looking for a way, a reason not to uh, engage in a gainful employment. And, you know, there, there are those, I've uh, got a friend of mine who tells me a story all the time. He used to be a surveyor and we're going to survey crew. And whenever uh, a rainy day came, that they took turns. They would draw a circle on the window windshield of the vehicle. And if rain hit in that particular spot on the win- window, then windshield, then they would call it quits and go home for the day. And so you'd have those people who would draw a circle around the whole entirety of the perimeter of the windshield. So if the rain hit anywhere on the windshield, then they would, uh, they would say, Hey, we we don't work uh, today. And then there were those who would draw just a really small teeny circle. And if the rain did not hit in that, uh, in the allotted time in that little circle, then they'd call it quits. But the chances of it hitting in that one little bitty spot were slim to none. So they would continue to work. And so that's the same thing. If we, if we look out into the world and we observe the, the calamity that may come because of the weather, we probably would never get out and do anything because it'd be too hot, it'd be too cold, it'd be too wet, it'd be too dry. And so we'd make up all those excuses not to go out and not to sow and we will not reap verse five as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child so you do not know the work of god who makes everything and so again the idea is life's an adventure we need to live by faith we don't understand how everything works in this world we don't understand how humans are created in the womb to a certain extent right we don't have this we know how the science of it works but how does God breathe into or bring into that that being in the womb life, the soul of a person? We, we don't fully understand how God does those things. But in the same thing in this world, we don't understand how everything in this world works. But we ought not keep that fear of not knowing or not understanding. Uh, we, not, we ought not let that fear, rather, of not knowing or not understanding keep us from engaging in the life that God has blessed us with. We ought to engage in life and use our talents and our gifts to enjoy and reap the benefits of this life that God has given us. Verse six, in the morning, in the morning, sow your seed and at evening withhold not your hand. So again, for the second time, for you do not know which will prosper. So it goes back to this idea of, you know, giving a portion to, to, you know, more than one ship. Uh, so, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Go out in the morning and do what you need to do for that uh, work. Sow the field, whatever it is. And nothing wrong with having a side gig, for, to use our vernacular today. Have a side gig or have a part-time job or do whatever it is so that you can have a diversity of means to uh, 
have income and, and prosper yourself and take care of your family because you don't know what will prosper. He says this or that or whether both alike will be good. So live by faith. Enjoy life that God has given you. So that leads us to the next section, life section. Life is a gift. Enjoy 11, chapter 11, 7 through 12, verse 8. It says, life is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. And, you know, we, we say something similar to that, right? When we ask people um, how, how they're doing or, or in some way engage in uh, the, the, the health and wealth of a person, um, a lot of times someone may tell us that they are doing fine because they're on this side of the grave, right? They're on this side of the grass. Well, that's the idea there. It, it is good to, to get up and see the sun. Uh, it's good to be alive and it's good to have this life that God has given us. It is a blessing and it is a gift that God has given us and we ought to enjoy the life that God's given us. Verse eight, so if a person lives many years, let him, and he gives us uh, several things we're about to see in this path, in these next few verses. Uh, he's about to tell us what we need to rejoice, we need to remember, and we need to remove. Rejoice, remember, and remove. So first, he tells us that if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in all of them. Right? And I get, it, I get it. Sometimes that's easy preaching in hard living because uh, all of our years are not always uh, uh, pleasurable. That things are not always pleasurable in every year uh, and every day of our life. But God's calling us to rejoice. Why? Because it's the day he's made. We ought to rejoice in it. And he's given us this gift of life. And we ought to seek a way to, to rejoice in the life and in the days that God uh, has given us, but let him remember. So we are to rejoice in all of our days and remember, hey, there's coming a day when the darkness will be, the days of darkness will be many. And really, this is a euphemistic way. I think Solomon is speaking in contrasting uh, youth and old age. In youth, it's good to see the sun. It's good to be on this side of the grass, but there's coming a day when we will be old and uh, the things of this life will not be as vibrant as they once were. And he's going to have an awesome poetic way to describe the aging of humanity in just a moment. But enjoy life, especially uh, in your youth and make, make every effort for you to take advantage of the vibrancy that comes with youth. And that doesn't mean that there are people who are older who are, are everybody who's old is not, a, you know, uh, invalid or anything. We, we, there are many people that, can, that are older than I am that can get around better than I can uh, most of the time. So, but there does come limitations. The older and longer we live, there are limitations and there is a decrease in our vitality uh, to some degree. And so he's saying, enjoy the life that God has given you and enjoy every day of the life that God has given you, especially in, in why you still have the ability to do so. And so he goes on to say in verse eight, says all that comes is vanity in the sense of what's coming after our youth. Uh, all of these things are vanity. Now, again, we know that Solomon doesn't end there, right? Solomon's going to give us that life's not all vanity if God is in the mix. Verse 9, then he tells us again, rejoice. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer uh, you in your days of your youth. So again, 
and again, that's not to say there's anything wrong with being old and growing old. I think that also is a, is a blessing and a gift from the Lord. It brings wisdom and experience, and we can still enjoy life in those older years. But all of us understand the reality of the older I get, uh, you know, the, there are things that I am not able to do like I used to do when I was a younger man. And my body is reminding me that uh, uh, every day. And there are times when I wake up and I hurt myself sleeping somehow. And I don't know how I did that. Right. And when I was younger, those things didn't happen. And when I did get hurt when I was younger, I was able to overcome it quickly. Uh, where the older I get, the longer it takes for recovery uh, to happen. So we, we see the distinction that he's saying, enjoy your life while you're young uh, and you have that vim and that vigor in life. It's, and he goes on to say, and again, you got to be careful with this statement because it can be twisted uh, and turned if we're not careful, because he makes this statement, walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. And you almost can read into that if you're not careful that Solomon is saying, hey, just go out and enjoy uh, whatever your heart desires or whatever your eye sees. Well, in one sense, he is saying that, that we need to enjoy the benefits of living this life and the energy and the passion and the vim and vigor that God has granted us to live this life with, but it's not a license for licentious living. It's not a license to go out in sin. And we'll see that um, in the end, but he reminds us of that in uh, this same verse. The second part of this verse says, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So God is watching. God is going to judge us. He's going to judge every, as we'll see later, every secret thought that we have. God's going to bring us in the judgment and the implication that Solomon is making that we ought to live our lives and follow after our dreams and desires, but we ought to do that in light of the fact that God's going to hold us account for the life that we live. Everyone's going to stand before uh, the judgment seat of Christ, and we're all going to give an account for, for the life that we live. And so we ought to live in light of the fact that there is a God and that uh, we ought to live in a way that brings honor and glory to God. And we ought to start that from our youth and not wait until we are in our old age. Verse 10. Now, here's the thing we need to do. Uh, remove. So we've got to rejoice. We've got to remember. We've got to remove. It says remove vexation from your heart. Vexation is sorrow, grief from your heart and put away pain from your body. Now that that's a, a big statement. I, I ain't figured out how to, how, how to put away pain from my body uh, yet, but I think in some way he's telling us to, to take care of our bodies, to take care of this temple, this gift that God uh, has given us. And how, how do you remove vexation and sorrow? Is, is he saying that there's a way that we can go through this life where there is no sorrow, there is no vexation, there is no pain, there is no suffering? No. I don't think he's saying that at all, but I think he is saying what we need to do is to the best of our ability, mitigate those things that would cause pain and sorrow in our life that we have control over, right? Uh, I don't have control over other people's passing and other people's suffering that causes me sorrow in my life because I care for them and love, love them. But I do have some control over things in my life that would inadvertently bring sorrow and pain and suffering in my life. So I need to be careful of those things and be intentional in trying to seek after um, happiness and joy that is found in, in Christ and in a relationship 
uh, with God. And sometimes, you know, vexation and sorrow comes from, you know, destructive relationships. And maybe we need to rethink some of the relationships that we have uh, in our life. And, and uh, there, there may be people that are pulling us away from God rather than, than coming alongside of us and pointing us to God and our relationship and strengthen our relationship with Christ. Maybe those things we need to think about. Maybe we need to think about the things we put in our bodies, the things that we, the, that we watch, that we consume, whether it be entertainment or whether it be food or whether it be substances. All of those things can potentially bring sorrow and pain and suffering in our life. And so we ought to be intentional in guarding our heart and guarding our soul, guarding our mind and guarding our bodies from uh, pain and suffering uh, in life. And he goes on to say, uh, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. And again, youth is fleeting, I think is a way to look at this. Uh, don't waste it. Uh, it's, it's here and it's gone, right? And it doesn't take long for it to vanish before your eyes. And the older you get, the quicker it seems to have gone, right? You wake up one day and you look back and you say, where did, where did all those years go? So Take the opportunity while you are young to get your head on right and follow after the Lord and enjoy the life that God has given you as you live for him. You know, it reminds me of Romans chapter 12, uh, verses one and two. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind and offer your bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. That is your reasonable act of worship, your reasonable act of service to the Lord. So, don't wait until you get old and gray-haired to begin to live and follow after the Lord and, and live this life in a way that would be pleasing and honoring to him and find joy and peace and, and comfort and, and hope in him. Do that while you are young. And then we begin chapter 12. We move into verses uh, 1 through 14. In chapter 12, 1 through 14, we have another remember is how he begins in verse 1. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth. And man, we'll push pause right there and, and remind every young person. You know, the, here's, the th here's the thing that the world has perverted our minds with. The world has perverted our minds by making us think that if we come to faith in Jesus Christ, if we follow after God, that we have to end all joy and we have to end all, you know, the pleasures of life and we have to become an old fuddy-duddy in a mud, mud in the stick kind of person. And so people think that, and I've had people say this to me when you're trying to witness to them that, man, I, I, I want to have fun first. Well, that, that is, that is the craziest thing I have ever heard. And it is, it, it is a lie from, uh, you know, the, from, from Satan himself that, if you think that living a life of sinfulness, because that's really what a person is saying, I, I need to have fun before I become a Christian, right? that, that I'm not going to have fun anymore. And they equate that with being able to live uh, a licentious, loose, lawless life as it relates to the law of God. And they think that that brings joy and happiness and, and peace and fun in life. And that can be further from the truth because the end of that is ultimately destruction, right? Where what the wages of sin is death. And you don't know what the morrow is going to bring. So you, you, you don't have that luxury to, to think that you can assume you have the next day to live. In, in our youth, young people, in your youth, turn your heart to the Lord. Bow your knee to Jesus Christ and live all of your days in, in, in a way that brings glory and honor to him. And, you know, we, 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 also, we also turn this 
upside down in our in Christian circles as well, right? And we 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 revel in this idea. And again, there's some some something to it. Okay, we revel in this idea that we get we have a person they get up and they come to faith in Christ. You know, a little bit older in life and and uh, they give their testimony and they recount all the despicable sinfulness that they lived their life in before they came to Christ. And then Christ radically changed them and redeemed them and, and, and saved them from themselves, saved them from the wrath that is to come and brought them out of all, all of that debauchery that they were living in. And man, we say that person got an awesome testimony. Well, let me ask you something. If you're a parent, if you're a Christian parent, is that kind of the kind of testimony you want for your children? Do you want your children to be able to get up and say, I lived all kind of sinful, debaucherous lifestyle, and then God rescued me from that? If I'm a Christian parent, I want to teach my children to love and fear God from the day they come out of the, out of the womb. And I want them to grow up in the, in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. And I want them to get saved at a young age. And I, I don't want them to experience all the sinfulness that is in this world. And here's the reality, though. So we don't we don't understand the the uh, sound biblical anthropology, because what we what we what we don't what we fail to understand is that when we come into existence in this world, we are sons and daughters of Adam, and as sons and daughters of Adam, we are inherently evil. As a matter of fact, we were in Genesis uh, chapter eight in Sunday school this morning, and the Lord had just uh, destroyed the earth as they knew it by flooding it and saved eight souls on the ark. Noah and his family and the animals that were on the ark with them. And at, in chapter eight is when the floodwaters begin to uh, subside from the earth and they ultimately come to dry ground and they're able to debark from the ark and begin to be fruitful and multiply again. And the Lord makes a promise to Noah that he would no longer destroy, or he would not, he would never again destroy the earth in the way that he destroyed it. He would never bring a flood to destroy the earth again, and never wipe off every human being from the face of the earth again. And he says in that promise he makes to him, even though this is God talking to himself in that passage, says even though he knows that the heart of man is instinctively evil from the day he is born. And so that's that's the plight of humanity. So here's the reality. All of us have an awesome testimony when we come from death to life because all of us are equally guilty before a holy, righteous God. All of us are sinners. All of us are in rebellion against God. All of us are enemies of God because of the nature that Adam we inherit from Adam who was our federal head. And so all of us are saved from the treachery of sin and we're brought from death to life. And so I would assume, I would just assume that my kids come to understand who Christ is early and not actually go into this world and experience the sinful debauchery of this world and have the kind of testimony that some people have. And praise God that he saves them from that, right? As the old preachers used to say, he saved them from the guttermost to the uttermost, right? And praise God that he is able to save people like that and he will save people like that. But is that really how you want your children to grow up? Do you want them to have that kind of testimony? No, we want to teach them to love the Lord from the very first breath that they take in this world. So youth, 
from your youth follow after the Lord. So back in verse one, chapter 12, remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And now this is where he's about to get to in just a, just a verse or two. He's about to, or really he's already into it. This is the introduction into this description of what it is to become old in this world. And so he talks about this, these old days as the, these evil days and these days where you draw near and you say, I have no pleasure uh, in them. And again, that doesn't mean that there's no pleasure for people who are older, but there are difficulties and sometimes more difficulties uh, as we grow older. And so he begins to describe that for us. So verse two, he says, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. And so again, what he's saying, I think, is before the calamities of life begin to mount up on us, uh, before they come one after another, and you know, we, we say it like this, right? The, the older we get, I'll put it this way, statistically, most people spend the majority of their health care money uh, in the latter years of their life because they spend that time chasing one calamity or one illness or one sickness or one infirmity after another. And so that's kind of the idea I think that Solomon is reminding us of as we reach those uh, golden years of life. Verse three says in the day, and this is where he begins to make this really poetic description of what it means to be old in our bodies in this world. He says in the days when the keepers of the house tremble, in other words, when your arms and your hands begin to, to tremble and you lose the strength and the dexterity and the fine motor skills that you once had, um, in your arms. And he says, and when the strong men are bent, in other words, the legs begin to give way and you're not able to, to walk and run and jump and do all the things that you have to do. I mean, man, the older I get, the harder it is to get up off the floor. If I get down on it, right. Uh, I have to do all kind of, uh, contortions and hold on to things to get up out of the floor. When in my younger days, I could have just sprang up like a like a spring chicken, right? And the grinders cease because they are few. In other words, you start losing your teeth. <laughs> they fall out. Of course, you know, praise the Lord now, people can get false ones and keep on trucking, right? But that happens with old age, right? Things begin to wear out. And those, and those who look through the windows are dimmed. In other words, you begin to lose your eyesight. You can't see the way uh, you used to see. And again, I, 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 I've been wearing glasses almost as long as I can remember as from a child to adulthood. And uh, I can tell my eyes continue to, to grow uh, dim, if you will. The, 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 every time I go to the eye doctor, it's a little bit different prescription I have I have to get, and there's some people who are blessed with good eyesight, but for the most of us, there comes a time when at least it's hard to read, and we have to get those reading glasses to put on or magnifying glasses or something to help us out. Verse four, and the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. And again, there's some debate over what that is. Either you, your mouth, you keep your mouth shut because you get you don't have any teeth, and you want people to see you see your empty mouth. But I, I think, and and other people think that I've read that this has more to do with hearing than than the teeth. The second phrase, so you you can't hear the way you used to hear. Uh, and hey, we we spend a lot of our time saying, "Huh, what'd you say?" 
uh, and one rises up at the sound of a bird. And isn't that the way it is a lot of times? The older you get, the earlier you get up. Whether you want to or not, you just can't go. You wake up and you can't go back to sleep, even though you might want to sleep more. And all the daughters of song are brought low. In other words, your voice begins to get weak on you and you're not able to sing the way you used to sing and you're not able to, you know, your voice is not as strong and vibrant as, as it once was. And really it's just a sad, it's a poetic, it's a sad poetic description of the failing of this body uh, as we age. They are afraid also of what is high. In other words, you, you have a, you're scared of having to climb up on ladder or steps or whatever because you think you might fall. And you have terrors along the way. In other words, you take your steps very gently, uh, even on flat ground, because you think you may fall and trip because your legs are not what they used to be. Your, your um, balance is not what it used to be. And then he goes on to say, the almond tree blossoms. In other words, if you got hair, it turns gray. Um, and another way to look at it, even if you don't have hair, you, that gray hair blossoms in places that didn't used to blossom. Your eyebrows sprout and your ears sprout and your nose sprouts. So you get older, uh, the body changes. The grasshopper drags itself along. And again, it's kind of hard to understand what he's talking about. One one commentary said that it had to do with like a grasshopper at the end of the spring, just uh, where his life is about uh, over and he is dragging himself along the ground with whatever strength he has has left. And so you continue even with the, the, the feebleness that you have to drag yourself along. Then he says, and the desires fail. Well, again, I, I think that's encompassing of all desires, right? Some may look at it mainly as sexual desire, but you know, there there comes a time in life when you don't have a passion for the foods like you used to have. You don't have a passion for the pleasures that you used to enjoy. Uh, that that can become part of being old. It doesn't have to be necessarily, but it can be become become part of that where you get to the place where hey you know the most pleasurable thing for you is to take a nap in the afternoon it says becomes uh, because man is going to his eternal home and again he's he's just walking us through this life and telling us hey th this is the plight of life right not a, well, not one person gets out of this world alive and the old you know we're always searching for the fountain of youth right cortez fountain of youth and that who it was we're always searching for the fountain of youth. We always have these remedies and these serums, you know, and there are doctors that make a killing on plastic surgery and Botox and all those things to try to make us look uh, younger than we actually are. But here's the reality of it. And there's not a one of us, if the Lord tears, there's not a one of us getting out of here alive. And if we live long enough, guess what? We're going to be old. There is no way around it. Here's the question that needs to be on the forefront of your mind everybody's going to go to their eternal home. The question is, what is your eternal home? What is your eternal destiny? There's only two places. Everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere. You're either going to spend eternity with God, or you're going to spend eternity separated from God in everlasting punishment. And the only way for you to spend eternity with God is for you to bow your knee to Jesus Christ today, because you are the enemy of God apart from Jesus Christ's redemptive work in your life. And you will die and be crushed by God under the weight of his wrath if you die in your sin. So today is the day of salvation. All of us are going to go to our eternal home one day. So be ready today because you're not promised tomorrow. 
And he goes on and says, and the mourners go about the streets. Again, just speaking to that motif of death and funerals and those who will mourn us when we're gone for a moment. But even that mourning will be fleeting, right? Because they too will go uh, and we will be remembered no more. And then again, as another verse six starts another uh, group of illustrations that talk about the brevity of life and um, the feebleness of life. He says, before the silver, co- the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. And again, the golden cord, the people that I've read liken that to um, the silver chain that may hang a lamp. Uh, and in their day, the lamp would have been, you know, a candle or an oil lamp of some sort. But that golden chain of, of life breaks. The golden bowl that holds the oil of life breaks or the picture that gathers the water from the fountain of life is shattered and you have no more, uh, no other vessel to carry the water in or the wheel uh, broke is broken at the cistern. So the idea is that at some point, this body that we have is going to cease to function the way that it was intended to function. And I always get kicked out of this commercial that comes on the radio quite often. And on this radio is, is, is Queen Latifah and, and her mom. And, you know, her, her mom is suffering from uh, heart failure. And not to belittle that because, you know, it's a, a devastating thing to go through. But the thing that, uh, the thing that, I don't want to say humor, but I guess that's the only way to say it, that it's just, it's just, funny to me that the way they go about this commercial because they'll talk about you know they're advertising some sort of of treatment or drug to help overcome heart failure and at the end of it together they say together we will overcome heart failure and every time that commercial comes on i have the same thought well no we won't because at some point all of us are going to succumb to heart failure at some point no, we may be able to prolong it. We may have medicines and drugs and transplants and all those things that may prolong it. Prolong it, But I'm telling you, if the Lord tarries, every human being that's alive will ultimately succumb to heart failure because your heart will cease pumping. All of us, none of us are getting out of here alive if the Lord tarries. Now, if the Lord comes back in your lifetime, you may be one of the ones that, that are that are called up and you're given a brand new body. But for the most of us, we're, going, we're not going to get out of here alive. We're going to go through the doorway of death. And you need to be prepared for that. And the only way to be prepared for that is have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Verse 7, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, right? To dust to dust, uh, uh, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Isn't that what people say a lot of times that? At a funeral, God created us from dust and we're going to return to dust, as it were, in this earth. We will decay uh, as we go into the ground. That's what happens to the physical body. Now, praise the Lord, those who are in Christ, when Christ comes, you're going to get a brand new body, right? You're going to get a new resurrected body that is fitted for eternity. Now, the flip side of that is true also. We, we, we think about that only from a Christian perspective most of the time. But the flip side is the same, that all of those who who are dead, that are not 
believers who died in their sin, guess what? They're going to be raised from the dead too. And they're going to be given a new body, a body fit for eternity because that body is going to be cast into hellfire and it's going to be ever dying, but never dying. They're going to be in torture and pain and torment, uh, but it never ceases and it never ends. So the only hope for them is for them to come to faith in Christ uh, in this life before they die and the same for you. So it is. In verse 7, and the dust returns to the earth uh, as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. And all of us will stand before him. Then he goes on in verse 8, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. And again, if we look at life under the sun, and this is all we have in this world, and there is no afterlife, there is no, no God in the equation, and all of us meet this same fate, which we all will, then life is vanity. It is empty. It is, it, it, there is no hope. There is no meaning. There is no value. But praise the Lord, Solomon doesn't stop there, right? Solomon goes on and he gives us the conclusion uh, of the matter. Two more sections to go through. Uh, life is a school. Learn your lesson, verses 9 through 12 in chapter 12. Besides uh, being wise, here's what Koheleth, the preacher, has done. He also taught the people knowledge. Again, that's, that's what Solomon has done, right? Even in Proverbs, that's what Solomon was doing. He was teaching his sons knowledge in, through Proverbs. And by extension, all of us who are, who are beneficiaries of being able to read and, 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 and engage with the book of Proverbs and hear with Ecclesiastes. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many Proverbs with great care. And that's why I think, you know, for the, for me, this drives the nail in the, the, the idea that, hey, Solomon is the one who, Solomon the king is the one who wrote uh, Ecclesiastes, the same one who wrote uh, the Proverbs, the majority of the Proverbs that we have in the Bible. Verse 10, the preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he, he wrote words of truth. And then he says, these words, of, the words of the wise are like goads. So in other words, the words of the wives, you remember um, Jesus says to Paul, whenever he encounters Paul on the road to Damascus and brings Paul to his knees, he says to Paul, he says, why do you kick against the goad, right? The goad, so the goad's a like a prick, like a prickly thing, a needle uh, kind of thing. And it, so it, it will goad you, it will prompt you on um, in, in your life to seek after truth. That's what the words of the, of the wise are. They're like goads prompting us to the truth. And we ought to rejoice in them. And he says, and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. So in other words, they're immutable, right? They are solid truths that you can hang your hat on. Uh, they never change. They are given by one shepherd. So Solomon equates the words of wisdom that he has written down. He says that they came from God, the good shepherd. So this, this is God's inspired word that Solomon says he has given me in the Proverbs. And I believe here in Ecclesiastes, God has given Solomon the, his inspired word. And we can, we can bank on it. We can, we, can, we can hang our hat on it. We need to understand that all truth ultimately comes from God. And that's why Solomon gives a warning here in verse 12. He says, my son, 
beware of anything beyond these. So in other words, beyond the revealed truth of God, beyond the inspired word of God, be wary of the truth that man may bring to you. Be wary of the many books that you find in this world. He says, of making many books, there is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. So in other words, you can, there, there's a plethora of things to study in this world. And there's nothing wrong with wisdom and nothing wrong with understanding and studying and learning. Solomon's not saying there is because he sought after wisdom and knowledge, right? But what he's saying is we need to weigh everything that we read in this world against the truth of God. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't align with the truth of God, then we need to discard it. And so he says, be careful of what you put in your heart and what you put in your mind. Don't take it hook, line, and sinker. Our standard ought to be the revealed word of God, the revealed truth of God. And we ought to weigh everything else in this world against the revealed truth of God. And here's the unfortunate truth about what we do too often as Christians is that we take God's word and we filter it through all the philosophies of this world. And that's, that's the wrong way to go about it. That's wrong headedness. We need to, God's word is the standard. God's word is truth and everything else in this world, we need to filter through God's word. And if it doesn't line up with God's word, we need to discard it as untruth. And then Solomon brings us to the conclusion of the matter. Okay. Uh, life as a steward, fear God is, is ultimately it's a stewardship, fear God, 13 and 14. He says, the end of the matter, after all of this journey, after all of this uh, experiment, all of these tests uh, in life that he's going through, he says, here's the end of the matter. All has been heard, he says. I hadn't left any stone unturned. There's nothing that I haven't explored, Solomon says. And he says, here is the end of the matter. And he gives two words, in the English anyway, fear God. That's the end of the matter. Fear God. Well, what does that mean, right? What does it mean to fear God? Well, I think it would be good for us to look at how this same author describes what it means to fear God. And now I didn't look at every verse in the book of Proverbs, but you ought to, you ought to when you have time, get in the book of Proverbs and chase down this, this phrase, the fear of the Lord. And chase it down through that thread through Proverbs and see how Solomon unfolds that. But I've got a few verses, I think, that are pertinent and kind of shape and frame what Solomon means by this idea of fearing the Lord. In, in one sense, I fear, the fear of the Lord has to do with having a right, reverent understanding of who God is, right? A respect for who God is. But it's like one Hebrew professor used to say, uh, the Hebrew word for fear means fear. There ought to be some element of understanding that this is the sovereign, triune, transcendent God of the universe who is omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent, and that if he willed, he could squash us like a bug, right? But in Christ, we find grace and mercy, and because of his common grace, he allows us to live and doesn't squash us like above, like above, and he gives us opportunity to come to uh, repentance and redemption through Christ Jesus. But there ought to be a right reverence for the Lord. And I think this idea of the fear of the Lord, to fear God, means that we ultimately come into a right relationship with, with him. Indulge just for a moment as I read to you a few verses from the book of Proverbs. You can write them down and go chase them down for yourself. Um, and I'd encourage you, give you a, give you a commercial 
Uh, there are a lot of free tools out there, and I like free tools, but you got to be careful. You get what you pay for most of the time. But uh, there are two that I think are really, really, really good, and maybe a third. But the, the, the first one is E-Sword, E, the letter E, and then sword, like uh, the, the weapon, sword. And so uh, if you go download that for your computer, get it absolutely free. I think if you get it on your Apple your Apple device, you may have to charge, charge a few dollars for it. But uh, on, your, on your Microsoft computer, at least, uh, you can get it for free. And it is one of the best free Bible study tools that is out there. And you can do a lot of good word studies. There's a lot of commentaries on there, but the free commentaries, you can buy some things to go with it, but the free commentaries uh, are usually public domain. They're older commentaries, but just because they're old doesn't mean they're not good. Uh, but the thing that I use it for the most is to do things like this. Search out phrases and words and, and threads through God's word because you can highlight fear of the Lord in Proverbs 1, 7 and right click on it with your mouse and it'll bring up a search and you can have it search the whole Bible. You can have it search the Old Testament or you can have it search just in Proverbs. And so if you do that, you'll come up with these verses that I have listed here today and many others that I don't have listed here, but that's a good tool. And the other one is um, Literal Word, I think is the name of the app. And you get that on your phone and it's free as well. And you don't even have to have inter internet access. Once you download it, you don't even have, have, to, have, to, have to have internet access to use it. Just like with eSword, you don't either. Uh, but it does a very similar thing. If you click on a word on the screen on it, it will tell you the definition of that word, at least the gloss definition in the, in the lex uh, lexicon that it has there. Um, and then it will tell you every place that word is used in the Bible. And so it's, those are two good tools to do word studies and word searches and chase down ideas in God's word. And I'm telling you, one of, one of the best ways to, to learn God's word is to chase down cross references in, in God's word. When, uh, there was a day when I, I used to sit down after school and I'd come home and read my Bible and I had a Thompson chain reference Bible and I would read through uh, chapters of the Bible. And every time I come to something, you know, some thought or some concept or some idea, I would chase that chain through that reference Bible. They had numbers and they would, they would give you every place of that, that thought or that idea, that concept was in God's word. And that's a way to see how God's word fits together. Anyway, the, back to the fear of the Lord. Uh, Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So Solomon's telling us that here's the end of the matter, fear the Lord. And if you fear the Lord, that's the beginning. That's the first step in having knowledge, right? And understanding and wisdom. But this fear of the Lord ultimately leads somewhere. Listen to Proverbs 3, 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. In, in that verse, he begins to give us a... Uh, 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 a foreshadowing of where he's going with this fear of the Lord as he unfolds it through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and perverted speech I hate. So you can see this fear of the Lord, it changes the heart of men. It turns their heart from evil and wickedness and it turns their heart toward following after the Lord. Look at Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. I mean, hidden in that verse is this idea of eternal life. 
that there's something beyond this temporal existence that we have. And it's in the fear of the Lord that this fountain, this flood water of eternal life um, is able to be grasped hold of and snatch us from the snare of death. And Jesus says something very similar in, in about this fountain of life in John chapter seven. In John chapter seven, somewhere around verse 35, 36, 37, Jesus is in, in, is in Jerusalem during one of the feasts that uh, they have there. And they're at the end of this feast, it's the last day of the feast, the priests are going down to the pool of Siloam, I believe it is, and they're getting, uh, filling these little goblets with water from that pool to bring back and offer as a drink offering to the Lord. And they're pouring out this drink offering to the Lord. And Jesus is standing back, in, in my mind, he's standing back watching this procession. And then he cries out in the midst of uh, what's going on down there as these priests, these Levites are bringing these goblets and pouring them out as a drink offering to the Lord. Jesus cries out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And from his uh, inner man, from his inner being, from his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John gives us, the apostle John gives us some commentary on what Jesus means. He tells us that Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, which he would give when he leaves, but they hadn't received yet because he hadn't departed yet. And so it was that promise of the living water that was gonna come when the Holy Spirit entered into the life of the believer through regeneration in Christ Jesus. And so we have this fountain of life and that snatches us from the snares of death and we are able to experience abundant life here and the eternal life we'll have in Christ. And then uh, here to me is the capstone of this idea of the fear of the Lord is in Proverbs 16, 6. In Proverbs 16, 6, Solomon says, by steadfast love, that's that, uh, that Hebrew word, hesed, God's unfailing love, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Man, that, that is the gospel in a nutshell right there, isn't it? It is by the covenant love of God in the work of Jesus Christ and his faithfulness. God said in Genesis 3.15 to the woman that there's going to be enmity between your seed and the seed of the serpent. He says this to the serpent. There'll be enmity between your seed serpent and the seed of the woman. And he says to the serpent, you're going to bruise the, the heel of this woman's seed, but the woman's seed is going to bruise your head right? And that was the proto-angelion. That was the first mention of the redemptive work of the Messiah that was going to come. And everything that follows after Genesis 3.15 is the unfolding of God bringing Messiah into this world. And we know that Messiah is Jesus Christ, right? And in Christ Jesus, God was faithful to his word. He demonstrated his covenantal a never-ending faithful love for his people. And he sent his son to die on a cross and die for his, the sins of his people. And he is redeeming for himself a people in Christ Jesus. And in that steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity has been atoned for in Christ Jesus. And all you have to do is bow your knee to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. As John uses numerous times, believe in Christ Jesus. And he says, by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. That's, that's what this idea of the fear of the Lord is. This idea of the fear of the Lord is bringing us into a saving relationship with almighty God. And we know because we read the entirety of the book through the, through the, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's 
what the fear of the Lord is all about. And if you have not bowed your knee to Jesus Christ today, then you don't understand any of that stuff. And you're not in a right relationship with him. And you are going to die in your sin if you don't bow your knee before the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be cast into a lake of fire and you'll suffer the wrath of God for all of eternity. But you don't have to. The second thing Solomon says though in Ecclesiastes, verse 13, he says, the end of the matter is this, all has been heard, fear God. And then he says, and keep his commandments. Now we don't want to hear that part, right? We, we, we want a gospel that says, all I have to do is raise my hand. All I have to do is say a prayer. All I have to do is get my ticket punched and I'm on the way to heaven. I can live however I want to in this world. It doesn't matter anymore. God has saved me and it's never going to, never going to, I'm never going to fall away. Well, I believe in eternal security of the saint. More, more correctly stated, theologically, the perseverance of, of the saints. Why? Because salvation is all of God and not of me. I don't save myself. God saves me and God keeps me. I'm in his hands, right? And nothing can snatch me out of his hands. Uh, it is all of him and none of me. And I can't save myself and I can't unsave myself. But when a person comes to faith in Christ, there is no concept in God's word that a person can come to faith in Jesus Christ and continue to live a life of blatant sinfulness, right? I'm not talking about whenever we come to faith in Christ and we fall into uh, times of sinfulness in our life or we fall into an area of sin, we give in to temptation. I'm not talking about that because that happens to all of us. Even though we are Christians, we will fall into sin and temptation at times in our life. We don't have to. God gives us a way out, but we generally do, right? I mean, God's working on us. That's why that progressive sanctification is taking place in our life. But there is no concept that a person can have their heavenly ticket punched and they can disregard God and live just like the world and live as if they had never met God and call themselves a Christian. No, whenever we are redeemed and regenerated, just think of the descriptions of it. I've already said them tonight. We are brought from death to life. We are, we, we are, we are brought from slaves to sin to become slaves to righteousness. There's a transformation that takes place inside of us. That heart of stone is removed and he puts in a heart of flesh. There's a change. That's why Jesus describes it in John chapter three as being born again, right? There's a radical change that takes place, a new nature that, that uh, we are given uh, in through Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit. And listen, this is not just an Old Testament thing, keep my commandments. Listen to what John 14 uh, 15 says, if you love me, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. And again, I know we're not under the law and we don't get saved by doing the law, but I'm here to tell you the law is still relevant to us today. The moral code of God, the 10 commandments, the Decalogue is still relevant and is still binding today. Just because you come to faith in Christ doesn't mean God still doesn't hold you to this law that I shall not, you shall not murder or you shall not lie or you shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet your, your neighbor's wife. You ought not steal, right? He still holds us to that standard of morality because that demonstrates his character. We want to say today, we want to get rid of all the law stuff, right? And we want to say today, uh, let's just love God and love people. Well, what does that mean? Love God and love people. What did Jesus say? You know, he was asked that question. What's the greatest commandment? You know what he says? Love God and love people. What is he doing? He's describing the law for us because he summarized the 10 commandments. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do I do that? What does that look like? It means that I don't take the Lord's name in vain, that I don't create any uh, uh, idols and worship idols, that, uh, that 
I keep the Sabbath, uh, you know, I honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. I honor that one in seven, one in seven day of rest that God has called us to, to, to. It says, that's how I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? He says, the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. What does that mean? Well, it means I honor my father and my mother, right? They're my closest neighbors. And I learn how to relate to all the other neighbors in this world through that neighborly relationship I have in my family. And I learn how to re re relate to authority by the authority that I see in, in sub the, my submittance to the authority of my mother and my father. And uh, I, I honor my neighbor by not stealing his stuff. I honor my neighbor by not taking his life. I honor my neighbor by not coveting the things that he has and not being jealous and envious of those things that he has. Those are the ways that we know what it means to love God and love people. So the law is still in that sense relevant and binding on us because it demonstrates the character of God and how God intends for us to live holy lives. After all, what did Peter tell us to do, right? Quoting from the Old Testament, Peter tells us, God says, be holy for I am holy. Well, how do I know how to be holy? Well, God gave me a guideline on what it looks like to be holy. The 10 commandments, love God and love people. So here, here listen to what Paul says. In matter of fact, Paul brings this this uh, uh, thing to a head for us on, on the idea of the law and how relevant it is to us. And Paul's the one, the champion of, hey, we're not under law, right? We're not saved by law, we're saved by grace. But listen to what Paul says in verse verses three and four in chapter eight. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. You know, the law, we couldn't be saved by the law because we couldn't keep the law. And so the law could redeem nobody. He did he did what the law couldn't do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He, command, he condemned sin in the flesh. And why did he do that? Look at verse four. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. How is the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in us? It's because Christ redeems us. And look at the end of the verse who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. It's through the redemptive, regenerative work of Christ in our life when the Holy Spirit indwells us as believers that God enables us for the very first time of our life to be able to see the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in us. So we are to fear God and we are to keep his commandments. And Solomon doubles down. He says at the end of verse 13, for this is the whole duty of man. Our whole life is to be bent around the fear of the Lord and the keeping of his commandments. Excuse me. And then he gives us a reason. Let's get, look at verse 14. In verse 14, he says, for God will bring every deed into judgment. Every deed into judgment with every secret thing whether good or evil. You know, John reminds us, this is everywhere, right? This is everywhere in God's word. Malachi talks about this book that God is keeping, this book of remembrance God is, is writing down. Um, and John reminds us in, in Revelation chapter 20, during the great white throne judgment, as we stand before the judge of all the earth. And again, God's given all judgment to the son, right? That's what John says in his gospel. God's given all judgment to the son. So it is before Christ that all men will stand in judgment. 
And listen, the Bible says in, in Revelation 20, starting around verse 15, that all the dead and all the dead, you know, the rest of the dead, it talks about were raised up. And he says, books were opened and every person was judged by what was written in those books. Those books are books that contain your works and my works, your deeds and my deeds. And everyone will give an account of what is written in those books. And I'm here to tell you, Every secret thing that you've ever thought, you've ever done is in those books. You can't hide anything from God. You can hide it from everybody else, but you can't hide anything from God. And you're going to stand before God and your life is going to be brought bare before God by what's written in those books. And if all you have when you stand before God is what's written in those books, you will be found guilty. You will be weighed in the balance and you will be found wanting or lacking and you'll be found guilty before a holy, righteous God and you'll be sentenced to uh, eternal damnation in the lake of fire. Your only escape is the other book. Praise God, the book of the the, the book of life uh, of the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. The book of life. And how do you get your name in the book of life? Well, again, you, you need to understand that the only way that that comes is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how your name is permanently inscribed in the book of life. And only those names who are found written in the book of life will escape the judgment that is to come. Because God's going to judge this world. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Judgment is coming. We've, we've read about it in the scripture. He's judged before, right? Even today, you know, Sunday school, last Sunday, God judged the earth. He wiped out everybody but eight souls. And one day God's going to come in judgment again on this earth, not by water, but by hellfire and brimstone. And listen to what Spurgeon says about this. Spurgeon says the the eternity of punishment is a thought which crushes the heart. The Lord God is slow to anger, but when he is once aroused to it, as he will be against those who finally reject his son, he will put forth all his omnipotence, all of his power to crush his enemies. It is true that God is slow to anger, but God's going to unleash his unmitigated anger and wrath on this world when Christ comes again. So you need to be ready for that today because here's the reality. The reality, again, go back to where we were and that all thing, all the same thing happens to all men. If the Lord tarries, every one of us is going to die. And that, that's the, re, that's the reality. Yeah. Christ is coming. There is coming a day when he's going to part those Eastern skies and he's bringing judgment with him when he comes. But the majority of us are going to go to stand before the Lord in death. And so you don't know when that's going to happen to you. You're not promised tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. And if you die today in your sin as an enemy of God, you will stand before God and be found guilty and cast into a lake of fire. You will be in torment and punishment for all of eternity. So today, you need to come to faith in Christ. Today, you need to come to the place where you understand that true value and meaning in life only comes with a relationship with God. And the only way to have that relationship with God is to repent and trust Christ, to trust that he is who he said he is and that he is able to do what he said he could do. And that is to redeem humanity and reconcile them to God, the father, by appeasing God's wrath against sin and by covering our guilt of sin, which he did with his blood. And he proved that by being raised from the dead. All right. That's the end of Ecclesiastes. 
If you need to know more about or want to talk more about what it means to be a follower of Christ or what it means to be born again, well then, hey, send me a message. We'll be glad to talk with you about that. If you need a church home, you don't have a church home, you live in the Elmore County area, Tallahassee, Wetumpka, Eclectic, those areas, well, come join us at Friendship Baptist Church where we go through God's word, very similar to this, every Sunday morning, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, and we expound God's word. We point people to Jesus Christ. And so come join us if you're looking for a church. Go find us on the RK Ministries podcast. Uh, like, subscribe, and share. Go find us on the YouTube and like, subscribe, share. Hit the button, the bell button so you can see when new things are posted there. And uh, until next time, hey, don't forget uh, before I go, uh, if you got an idea of where you'd like to go, again, I like to alternate between Old and New Testament. So if you have a book that you would like to talk about in the New Testament, well, then send me a comment about that. Uh, and then we'll we'll decide which way we're going to go. Uh, so until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine uh, upon you. <laughs>